Our scripture comes from Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. The word of our Lord. Good morning. Let me kind of just understand what this manifesto theme is, this manifestation, this statement to declare the belief of Christ, to declare Jesus is here in Matthew giving a showing what what does it really mean to have Jesus in your heart? What does it really mean to have the Savior? Matthew is written one of the earliest texts, accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's written to Jews, presenting Jesus as Israel's promised Savior. Matthew's gospel portrays Jesus in three categories. Number one, he's the Messiah from the line of David. He fulfills all these all these all these uh, requirements. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And interesting in chapter 5 is he portrays himself even more so as the new Moses, the new authoritative teacher like Moses. But more than any other gospel, it it stresses Jesus' relationship to the Old Testament. So when you see this passage, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, no, turn the other cheek. They sue you for your shirt, give them your jacket as well. Is the Son of God contradicting the law of God? If we believe in a Trinitarian God, that there's God the Father, Christ the Son, and Jesus the Holy Spirit, is Jesus here contradicting the law of God? Now, I must confess to you, I grew up Southern Baptist. I grew up a Vietnamese Southern Baptist in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I am a recovering dispensationalist. So growing up as a Christian, I would commonly say to my Christian friends, whenever um, they did me wrong, I would say, well, am I going to be an Old Testament Christian or a New Testament Christian? Because if I'm an Old Testament Christian, I'm about to go get my revenge. But no, I'm a New Testament Christian. And one one of the crazy things, you guys, is like, there was this disconnect. There was this disconnect between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That I really believe that, okay, all that doesn't matter. Everything in the Old Testament doesn't matter. That's old news. Now we have good news. We have Jesus. And now everything's changing. There's a new, there's a new law. There's a new way of doing this. Salvation is coming in a new way. And Matthew, if you understand the context here, it's, it's, that's not true. Matthew is, is, is preaching to these Jews that need to understand that they all connect. It all connects. And the way I like to describe it as a dispensationalist, I was believing that God cooked things in different compartments. He cooked things in different compartments. He had the, the old covenants here going, and then he got rid of that. He got rid of that. And then he has the new covenant here, and that's, that's the new pot that we're cooking 
it was great, like being an Asian American, uh, my seminary professor, the way he described to me covenantal theology is he said, no, it's a walk. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to listen. You got my attention. He's like, oh, it's a walk. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, what we're saying is they're all in the same pot. And they're all, God has been cooking this from the very beginning. And God's storyline from the very beginning, before the creation of the world, was Jesus. And that's why it's important to understand where Matthew is going and why we understand that Jesus is not abolishing, his, as Matthew 5.17 says, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to say, affirm it and say, it's good. You're just kind of misinterpreting it. So let's go into Matthew chapter 5 and understand where, where we're going today, that we understand that Jesus is not contradicting or abolishing the law. He's coming to fulfill it and to say, we're trying to not be pharisaical here. We're trying not to just be about behavior modification. As the Pharisees and scribes are just trying to get this outward appearance of looking good. He says, but I'm here in the business of inscribing the law into your hearts. We're going to go to three different points today in application. Number one, civil order twisted into personal disorder. Civil order twisted into personal disorder. Number two, evil is here. Evil is here. And number three, the good news, grace that goes above and beyond. Grace that goes above and beyond. And then finally, in the application, I'm going to talk about missional retaliation. How we can really give missionally revenge against the evil one. So that's where we're going to go today. Let me pray for us as a... Uh, as we hear the word of the Lord this morning. Father God, I pray that you would uh, remove me out of this position, but anoint your Holy Spirit to come and intrude to the hearts of your people. Would you lead us to repentance this morning? As we come to the table this morning, that you would lead us to confession, that you would lead us to uh, the need to know you in a new way. Radically change the hearts and minds of your people. Holy Spirit, come with fire. Refine your people this morning. Lead us to the word where we would love it, crave it, sing about it, tell people of it, and want to spend some time in it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, first point, civil order twisted into personal disorder. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We see this law in Exodus 21. We see in Leviticus 24 and reiterated in Deuteronomy 19. This passage was commonly misinterpreted by God's people as a verse interpreted for personal vengeance, personal revenge for being wronged. And what this scripture is really about, the context of the passage is about the punishment should be equitable to the crime. Your punishment that you commit, the crime you, you commit, the punishment should be equal to the crime. What this did was this prohibited people from exacting a greater revenge on one another. It also prohibited people from taking advantage of different classes. Very common we hear about the incarceration system today. And we hear that how the poor the inner city. I deal with fourth, fifth generation homeless kids. 
And we see the lack of equality and equity in the city. We see the rich prospering from having a certain number of criminals in the incarceration system. This is where we could go back to the Old Testament and say it is valid. God knew what he was talking about when he says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But this is where we get it twisted. When we take something that creates civil order, civil justice, and we turn it into our own personal vendettas. And you do, you do and I do it. I think about, I love, I love the Batman series. Um, I love the Christian Bale Batman series. And one of the great things about the Batman story is you see someone who's been treated and has been hurt by this evil world. His parents were murdered. And then you see what happens is he goes to jail and this criminal gets a short, not an equitable, equitable punishment to the crime that he committed, killing Bruce Wayne's parents. So Bruce Wayne goes and trains. Why? Does he train because he believes that he is going to fight for justice? But we see that he's really actually wrestling through this personal vendetta to repay evil for evil. What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in my life? It happens all the time. It happens all the time when I, when I see eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and I get hurt, immediately I want to respond with a personal vendetta that I need to go get payback. Payback belongs to me. And what happens is in, in, in that time of fighting over how to get revenge, I played a, uh, play a lot of sports growing up. And one of, the, one of the sports is basketball. And in basketball, uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, uh, misinterpreted happens all the time. Well, the ref didn't see that, so this guy is like elbowing me, pushing me in the back. Well, now I'm going to run down the court, and I'm just going to clock him. I'm just going to jack his jaw, you know, because vengeance belongs to me. And what happens is I'm no good to my teammates because I don't care what, I don't care what, what, what's good for the team. All I care about is what's good for me. I got hurt, and I'm going to get my payback. I'm going to retaliate. And what happens is referee ends up calling a technical, calling a technical on my coach. I get ejected out of the game. What was now a four-point uh, deficit is now moved even to more like an eight-point deficit after possessions and free throws. And all of a sudden, my team has now suffered because I took vengeance into my own hands. I decided that, you know what? Retaliation belongs to Han. New City, have we taken the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? We've taken the law of God, God and misinterpreted it and turned it in our own personal chaos. Civil order, God's law is so good. We know it's so good because Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the picture of this law. His lifestyle, how he lived, how he walked on this earth is the law of God perfectly fulfilled. 
And what we've done is we've taken that law and we twisted it into our own personal vendettas, our own personal retaliations. And now there's personal disorder. I'm no good. Me and God aren't good. My family's no good. My marriage is falling apart. At work, no one can trust me. I can't trust anyone because I am so ready to put justice in my own hands that I'm so blind I can't see the chaos in my heart. This is what happens when we twist the law of God into our personal disorder. It leads us to misery. It leads us to despair. It leads us to death. Second point. Evil is here. Evil is here. Verse 39 through 41. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In the context here, the passage is not is, is, is asking us not to seek restitution for being wronged. This is really a litigating kind of passage where you've been sued. And Jesus is saying, the context is Jesus saying like, hey, if they sue you, don't try and get your property back. Don't try and get yours back. But when Jesus added the, the comment, slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one. What he's really referring to is adding insult to the injury. Adding insult to the injury. Are we shocked? Are we shocked that evil things are happening? That's the scary thing. It's how shocked are you that evil men are running into buildings, churches, concerts with guns and just killing people? Does that shock us? Does that shock us that evil is at our door? Does that shock us that the more we walk in this tolerable culture, the more Christians are being called out to be as, as intolerant. The more we realize your friends, if you don't agree with their sexual orientation, that you're judgmental, that you're not loving. So we vacillate to the other side. And we're just like, okay, well, you can just do whatever you want. And then the word of God, the truth of God's word is, is no longer valid. You have your truth. I have my truth. There's a common terminology amongst millennials now. It's like, you have your truth, I have mine. This is my truth. Evil is here where we realize, and we must realize, that we're trying to twist God's truth and make it our own. So part of the idea is to understand this morning is that evil is right here. It's on our doorstep. So how do we respond? How do you respond to that today? Well, as good reformed Christians to understand what truly it means to be totally depraved. As you think about passages in Genesis, where we see the fall of Adam and Eve and how the repercussions of the first set of brothers, Cain and Abel, 
led to murder, evil being done to the first set of brothers. We must also realize that in Noah's time, God says that we would be continually, his people were continually evil. We see in Romans, Paul gives a systematic theology of our, of our condition. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do not resist the one who is evil because Jesus is really showing us that we are the ones that are evil. That's what should shock us. That's what should shock us as Bible-believing Christians is that we don't realize how sin can contaminate our hearts. That sin has power. That fear leads us to evil things, evil actions, wanting to hurt one another. That's what's going on with this context of these Pharisees and these Jewish people. They hear eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and they're like, I'm going to go get my payback. And what they did not see was those intentions and those motives manifested as pure evil. We turn to this world and we're shocked at the evil that's happening. But in our own hearts, do we really believe the battle of flesh and spirit and being totally depraved? That in our own condition, in our own ways, we can obtain good. I always tell, when I have evangelistic kind of conversation with people, I always say, you know, what's the biggest difference between Christianity and false everything else? So yeah, what, what, what is it? Tell me, Pastor, tell me. I say, every other religion is about being so good that you climb this ladder to get to God. What, the, what Jesus is preaching here, what he's really saying here is, I love you so much, I'll come down to get you. Your works, your efforts, your best efforts are just going to leave you short. And that moves us here to understand what should shock us is not that we see evil in this world. What should shock us is that we start becoming callous to how sin is infecting us. Uh, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I've been dealing with this, this head cold. <laughs> I've been dealing with this head cold. And I've gone through three or four different diagnoses of myself. And it's just like, oh, this, it's, it's just, you know, I think I got the flu. It's like, no, no, you don't get the flu. Okay, I, I just think I got um, allergies. No, you never had allergies your whole life. Then I finally went to the doctor, and the doctor says, you have a sinus infection. Thank you for finally coming to a professional who can actually diagnose you correctly. This is the important part to understand that evil is here, is that sometimes we think our world is in chaos, and we're diagnosing the world when Jesus is right here trying to help us diagnose ourselves. The reason why we should not resist the one who is evil is because we understand the evil that's bowing within our own hearts. Finally, let's go to the third point. Grace that goes above and beyond. Grace that goes above and beyond. 1 Peter 2, 21-23, For to this you have been called 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so you may follow, might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Let me repeat that. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. It's amazing here that you see that not only does Jesus come and is the Messiah that the Jewish people have been praying for, the Jewish people have been looking for. And what we see here is that we see a Savior who understands and incarnates into their suffering. He says, I, I can advocate for you because I know what suffering looks like. I know what it means to be reviled by your family, by your friends, by those closest to you, and did not return, repay that evil. We have a Savior that understands that his own people slapped him in the cheek, and he turned. We have a Savior. We sued him for his shirt, and he gave us his jacket as well. We see the works, the fulfillment of the law, that we needed him to go one mile. And grace that showed out in Jesus Christ is, I'll go too. You see this example in First Peter that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus is everything that you need today. Here's a crazy story when I think about repaying evil for evil. My, um, when I was growing up in third grade, I, I, I started realizing at lunchtime, like, there's this cool little ice cream thing that everybody goes and gets ice cream. And like all these rich kids are just going and getting these ice creams. And it's like, they're so happy after they have this ice cream. And I was just like, I got to give me some of that ice cream. I, I got to somehow figure out how to get some of that ice cream. Well, I went to my dad. I said, Dad, I need some ice cream money. All the other kids, they're so happy after lunch because they get ice cream. I think my grades would improve, and I can get, I can get that Asian A that you, you desire so bad. Y'all know, know what I'm talking about. 95 and below is not good enough. Uh, you just got to be above, 96 or below, uh, above. So... I said, like, Dad, just give it the castle. And he's like, no, absolutely not. Your brothers didn't get it. Your sisters didn't get it. You're not getting it. I'm like, okay. Yeah, figure out something I'm on. So uh, in the morning, my mom and dad are getting ready, and I see mom's purse right there. And I'm just kind of like, Mom, I'll like, uh, I just, I just go grab. I'll go grab her purse, and I'll just, I'll just borrow a dollar. I'll just, I'll just go borrow a dollar so I get ice cream. So as I grab the purse, my mom and dad come into the kitchen really quickly. And I'm just like, oh, oh. So, so I hid the purse in my lap in the seat and just like, oh, my goodness. But I'm a very, um, I, like, if I want something, I'm just, I don't care. I'm just, I'm just going to get it. So with my eyes, like, not looking at the purse, I just grabbed the first piece of paper bill that I could find, and I just put it in my pocket real quick. And then I put the purse back on the table. So I go and... I, um, I get in the uh, bus, and I realize I didn't take a dollar. I took a 20. How's a third grader going to take a $20 bill to school and convince their teacher that their parents gave them ice cream money? They're going to know that I stole this. So I'm on this bus. I'm like, I got to think of something really quick, really fast. 
I'll tell them that my parents want to buy the whole class ice cream. So we, I took the $20 and I bought the whole class ice cream. I was like the star student of the week. Uh, they announced it on the, uh, on the, on the, on the uh, announcing thing at the uh, school. It's like, what a great, just want to say thank you to the trucks for buying the third grade class ice cream. Later on, fast forward, fast forward. Um, my dad comes home that night, calls all of us into the room. And we're like, oh, no. I'm like, oh, oh man, I'm about to get in my trouble. <laughs> and I, he says, someone stole $20 from Mama's purse this morning. Who was it? I ain't going to say anything. If we all get spankings, we'll be less. Versus like, you know, I'll get two, and my other siblings will get two. So that's, that's about 10. So then instead of me getting all 10, I'll, I'll divide the two. You know what? We're all evil, so all of my siblings really deserve it. You know, God's sovereign, so, you know, I was reformed before I even knew I was reformed. You know, so it was, it was amazing. So I was just like, okay, Long, that Sunday, my brother, my oldest brother, goes into the church parking lot and finds $20. And he goes to my dad, and he runs to my dad, and says, hey, dad, look, I found $20. And my dad goes, mm-hmm. Me and my oldest brother, we didn't have a good relationship. You know, there was a lot of competition, you know, in, in our home. And uh, you guys, my dad just goes off. And I was just kind of like, I'm listening to this, and I'm like, I need to go in there. I, 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 need, I need to go in there. I need to go. I'm not going there. That, that sounds like that's painful. Like, that's not, like, I'm not, that's not going to be me. Um, a year later, my brother and I get into an argument. And it's a heated argument. And he's like, I know it was you that stole that $20. I know it was you that you stole that $20. And all this time, I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to get you back, how I'm going to get you back. And I sat my brother and I said, in a moment, he said, I said, why didn't, why didn't you ever get me back? He said, that's what big brothers are for. Jesus saw how he misinterpreted and twisted his law. And grace that he offers today for you that goes above and beyond your shirt and your jacket. You need a one mile, he'll go too. And he's here to say to God's people, that's what big brothers are for. This manifestation of the statement is not about what we do. It's not about how great New City is. It's not about, hey, we're particularizing today. We're going to be a legit church. It's about how great is our big brother? How great is Jesus Christ? That we're going to reach this Lawrenceville area for his glory and by his means to a diverse community. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what education level you are. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic class you are. Because we understand the grace that we receive and now we're ready to go give grace back. So then you see in verse 42, if the one who obeys, give him. If the one that borrows, don't ask for it back. Because you understand what you've been given. You understand he exchanged his life with yours. You don't have to give it back. Accept it, embrace it, and know that that grace goes above and beyond. Finally, application. 
missional retaliation. It's funny, Brandon. Brandon's like, I'm really Brandon. Pastor Brandon was like, I'm really excited about hearing this missional retaliation. And I had I got to practice it this morning because I walked in and he made fun of my skinny pants. <laughs> and I had a comment. I had a comment ready, ready to repay evil for evil. I was like, oh, I need to apply this passage. So I will love Brandon and buy him lunch later on. Probably McDonald's. All right. So we go to Romans 12. Paul gives us an idea of what missional retaliation. Remember, Romans is a systematic theology book. So it helps us understand what salvation, justification, sanctification looks like. But it also, at the end, helps us understand what does the ethics, Christian ethics, really look like. And here we see how we treat evil. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. New city. How is God calling us to retaliate? How is God calling us to get payback? Number one, if you want to understand mission retaliation, You've got to sit in the trust of Jesus Christ. This chair, this chair is Jesus Christ. Trust it. Sit in it. When evil, evil is happening, evil is going to continue to happen, sit in that chair of trusting Christ. Before we can go help the beggars, before we can help, go help the borrowers, to be a missional Payback church, we got to understand Jesus paid it all. Would you sit in that trust? You don't have to go get your own. You don't have to go get vengeance. Vengeance belongs to Christ. Trust him. But how, how will we, how will we re- retaliate? What this passage says, vengeance is mine. Sit in that. Know that that's the truth. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Will we retaliate with mercy? Will we retaliate with love? Will we retaliate with patience? This is what he's really, this is where God's really taking us to a place to understand what missional retaliation is. There's a bigger picture when you sit and trust in the vengeance of God. I'm reminded of the last set of brothers in Genesis. The first set of brothers, the brother killed the other brother. But in Joseph, the story at the end of Genesis, 50, everything that happened to Joseph, it just seemed like this guy is a pacifist and is just getting taken, care, taken advantage of. 
But wherever he goes, God blesses him. Wherever he goes, you see the love and patience of God and Joseph. That we see at the end where he's been cast out by his brothers into Egypt. And now his brothers and his family and his people, a whole ethnic group is dying from a famine. And these brothers are trying to conjure up some sort of way of paying him back for the wrong that they've done. And all they can, they have nothing. All they can do is just ask for his mercy. And I want to I read you Joseph's response in Genesis 50, 20, and we'll close. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? If we're sitting in the trust of the Lord, you would never think you're in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's missional retaliation. Let me pray for us. God, we pray today, Father, that sometimes it's hard to trust you, that you're caring for us, and we confess that to you, and we repent. And God, your word convicts us and moves us to a place to really have to trust you and rest in you and know that you take care of your children who you love. Father, give New City as they come and vote today for their first elders. Lord, as you move them towards particularization, Lord, that they would understand that they could sit and trust you and you are good for it. And as evil comes into this world, as evil comes into this church, we don't need more protection. We don't need more guns in here. We don't need to be in isolation. We need more faith in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.